The following podcast is a production of the LAG Radio Network. There is literally a scene where a tarantula is put in the vagina of a woman that is stitched shut. That shit was so hard to watch, I felt my soul cringe. Real talk. I wish we could leave this in the podcast. Maybe you will. I don't know. But, like, I was watching a a pretty hefty lesbian scene a while ago and it like it shot like i like jumped up because <laughs> like the one of the chicks had like a ton of tattoos super attractive i was like i'm in this and it was like in the shower and the other chick all of a sudden raises her arms just a full just full armpit hair on both sides just like fully engulfed and i'm like wait 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 <laughs> hold the fucking phone my guy <laughs> my name is creepy pete and i am still a piece of shit because i can't get through this but we are here to welcome you my good friend professor nasty how we doing professor nasty i'm doing quite fine this evening uh we have a lot in store, I think, for everybody that's not listening tonight. <laughs> uh, only reason why I say that is because uh, I, after I showed you what we're going to talk about, I've never seen somebody so um, amazed and so turned on, but so not turned on at the same time. So You've discovered my kink. I Mr. Think, Nasty. I think so. I think so. And, and I, I hear that a lot. I hear that a lot, man. You know? I could go on and on for days about my clients and my patients that I see, but it's like oh. a confidentiality thing. So we're going to dig pretty deep into this trilogy here. Uh, we're going to do it in three parts, just like the trilogy, even though I believe there's more, right? There's four total. So it's like a bonus feature, right? On the last one. So yeah. So and there's other movies we're gonna. There's in this yeah. As there's well. there's there. It's yeah. There's three films that are a trilogy that are all engulfed with one another, and then there's like a short film that's also included in the the box set that we obtain here. Um, and then there's also supposedly I haven't seen it. Uh, apparently, it exists on the interweb somewhere. But there is a fourth film. Um, that was made after these that's supposedly like a prequel to these but i have not seen it maybe maybe if we get enough uh <laughs> maybe if we get enough hits maybe we'll uh we'll come back oh yeah we're definitely gonna come back uh, because <laughs> i definitely want to watch well i know heavy metal veins is that right I black metal veins black metal veins, black metal veins. And, and that's debatably probably the most well it's not debatable why am i saying it's debatable that is the most like straightforward and narrative movie slash story that that he does in his career thus far if his career is not done yet which i hope it's not i sure yeah, hope I, it's not <laughs> i hope not either i really want to watch it but we would like to welcome you to another Scarecast. This Scarecast is going to be a deep dive Scarecast Ooh. into the Slaughtered Vomit Dolls series that Professor Nasty has turned me on to. Uh, these are literally Cannibal Corpse, the movie, just pure snuff films, and they're great. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, yeah, the Vomit Gore trilogy is um, by far one of, if not the most absolutely repulsive most disturbing set of films that you can get your hands on legally <laughs> um and the, the first i guess we're gonna spend 
the first episode kind of dissecting into the the first installment of that trilogy, which you already said, Slaughtered Vomit Dolls. Um, yeah, where do, where do we go from here? Uh, I was going to provide a quick summary of it, um, and okay. then we can just start digging deep into this, uh, this pile of barf here. <laughs> Um, so Slaughter Vomit Dolls is a 2006 Canadian-American horror film written and directed by Lucifer Valentine, who coined vomit gore as a new subgenre. The film had a simultaneous DVD and limited theatrical release on February 14, 2006. The film follows a very loose plot structure consisting of assorted random scenes mostly revolving around Angela Aberdeen a bulimic stripper turned prostitute. Uh, it's part of a Vomit Gore trilogy and was followed by two sequels, which we will get into later, Regurgitated Sacrifice, released in 2008, and Slow Torture Puke Chamber, released in 2010. A fourth Vomit Gore film, titled Vomit Gore 4, Black Mass of the Nazi Sex Wizard. God damn, that sounds amazing. This doesn't was it? released in 2015. <laughs> uh, that is wow. That was a trip. I wasn't expecting that one. Um, so, a very brief synopsis: uh, Angela Aberdeen, played by it's Amira, right? Amira, Amira Lave. Yeah. Angela Aberdeen, played by Amira Lave, is a teenage runaway that suffers from bulimia. In order to make ends meet, she begins working as a prostitute. As her bulimia worsens, Angela begins to experience a series of hallucinations where she experiences visions of the deaths of her fellow strippers as well as various others. And it gives you a little list of the cast, I'm not going to go through everybody, but I really want to point out, I'm sure you're aware of this, but in the cast, they credit somebody by the name of Miss Pussy Pants. <laughs> and when I first saw that, I, I literally I lost it. I think I think that right there is just like <laughs> more of a reason to watch the film. Like they should advertise the film with introducing Miss Pussy Pants. Yeah, I'd be all for it. <laughs> Um, it's it's either Princess Pam, Alan Nasty, or Miss Pussy Pants. Well, you know what that Miss Pussy Pants <laughs> tastes like a, like a Rob Zombie horror film. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> this fall, Miss Pussy Pants, <laughs> a Halloween trilogy <laughs> featuring Sherry Moon Zombie. <laughs> so I, I'll never understand that. I also didn't know if you knew this, but this has a budget of $100,000. I have read that. That seems crazy to me. I want to know where he gets his money. I really do, because the dude, like, if, okay, I should probably kind of explain him a little bit before we go into what yeah, I was about can, to say. We can definitely give him some backstory, because so, he's got quite a bit of a story. He's got quite a backstory. So, okay, so Lucifer Valentine... I don't know if it gives a specific date that he was born because, like I said, his information is very uh, protected, <laughs> um, probably for a good reason. But I do know that he was born and he grew up in South Africa. I know that for sure. Um, he's come out and said that both of his parents, uh, I believe there's, I believe they're scientists that work with bugs. 
I think they're scientists that work with bugs. And so he's always claimed that they weren't home a lot and they were always traveling. And I guess where my confusion comes with him is a lot of his life kind of a couple years leading into what is now the Vomit Gore trilogy is him basically just traveling around the world. Like he traveled to the States, to the UK, um, to Canada, which is where he ultimately met pretty much everybody that is a big member of the Vomit Gore trilogy. So I want to know what he did to get the funds to do all of that. Like if it's like a family thing, like if his family makes that much money to where they're just like, hey man, go out and see go the world, do it, do what you want to do. I'm not sure. I really don't. I'm not sure. But he, he, he definitely had enough funds to travel around the world for several years, um, have all the experiences that he had. And I'm pretty sure that he lived in either Canada or the States for a while during the shooting and filming of these films. I don't think he ever lived there consistently, but I know that he yeah. stayed there for an extensive yeah, period yeah. of time. Yeah, which, which we'll kind of go into that as well. Yeah, we can certainly touch on that, especially with the agreement that he made with Amira, where we don't have to get super in-depth with it, but he did make an agreement with her of, hey, like you got kicked out. She was in horrible health, and he was basically like, you can stay here and live here. I just get to film you whenever I want and doing whatever I want. Yeah, yeah. I. <laughs> well, see, and I think this is this is what I want to get into everybody's head when we talk about this, because I know you hear Vomit Gore, you hear the trilogy, you hear his name, and like the first, because it, it, it was in my mind the first time I heard it too, it was like, you know what what the fuck is this like why do i want to hear about this why do i want to watch this but it's all about the backstory for me like once you understand why these films exist and the story behind the films that's where it gets really really interesting where it actually in my opinion gets more disturbing than what the films actually <laughs> yeah i portray. mean it, it definitely follows amira levey um as her name is escaping me angela angela in this now it starts off and she's clearly a little bit unstable you can tell and as it continues to go through she gets more and more attached and all these brutal scenes that come through like one of my favorites in there was the woman one of her stripper prostitute friends who they they dug her eyes out and has have her puking all over the coffee table yeah the only thing i could think of was just as the director just explaining that to the woman like yeah okay we're gonna we're gonna give you these really good special effects we're gonna make it look like we're taking your eyes out now here's where i need you to shine these people are actually throwing up that to me is i don't want to say that's great that makes me sound like fucking crazy <laughs> but that like that just is there's no way around it. I don't know how to word it, but it's interesting to me that they're actually doing like there's no special effects. They are physically throwing up. Well, I, I think that's what's really interesting about these films, too, because a lot of underground horror films that I've seen in my past, um, they don't have a lot of backstory on the making of the film or or a really like a backlog of looking on the set or anything like that really no bonus features at all because a lot of the times that kind of hurts the reputation of those films you know they kind of want to make it seem as realistic and real as possible and as low quality as possible but lucifer valentine kind of like 
doesn't follow any of those rules at all. He's kind of just like, I'm going to make this like low, like semi low budget and kind of look low quality and real. But at the same time, I'm going to make a very artistic <laughs> it's viewpoint of this. It's yeah. professionally done. He obviously knows what he's doing and he has a vision of what he's doing. And he's had that vision for a while, long enough to make it the way that he did. And then on top of that, make hours of bonus features added on to the movies, literally showing you real life conversations that he's having with the cast before they're doing these things. And then basically saying like, yeah, I'm cool with that. Yeah, that's no problem. They love it. Where do I sign? Exactly. Like, <laughs> and they want to do more work with it. And, They're and like, yeah, let us know. What amuses me so much is like his tone when he's talking to them. It almost seems like he's like super amused that he found people that are so down with doing this because he's like, well, let me let, like, I'm gonna choke you. <laughs> I'm going to gag you. I'm going to make you vomit. We're gonna we're gonna pull your hair. We're gonna simulate rape. And they're like, yeah, absolutely. I'm totally okay with that awesome i'm like what <laughs> and i mean like they have safe words and stuff like if it gets I, too real yeah, you know he even and I that's understand. what i loved in the bonus features. I, I understand but and and i could be totally wrong i probably shouldn't but i don't really give a fuck but a lot of the cast of these movies i i honestly think he pulled from ken the reason why i think this is because like when you do enough research on like the people that he met like amira lavey is a great example because she was actually in the amateur porn scene and when he would go to like the parties with all the porn stars and stuff like that that's how he met her initially i think a lot of the cast and crew of these films he met in a similar way like i think they a lot of these yeah, yeah i think a lot of these cast members were amateur porn stars with that, all the nudity and being comfortable yeah, with exactly. that. Yeah. And, and I think the reason why that is true is even some of the other actresses that are in the film that he kind of leaves like semi-raw footage interviews in the final filming process in the films. Um, they're literally explaining like a day in the life of them. Like, yeah, one time I got gangbanged by five guys and I fucking like creamed all over <laughs> their face. And they're like, they're saying it like it's like a typical Tuesday morning for them. Like, yeah, I woke up, you know, had my Wheaties. I had my glass of milk and I went to work and got fucking rammed by five cocks in my asshole and uh, just kind of cream pied all over them. And then, well, then after that, I went to McDonald's and I got my favorite. <laughs> just your like, average nine it's just like, five. yeah, it's like it just comes out like it's nothing. <laughs> Like, it's almost inspiring to me. (laughs) (laughs) Going back to, like, the bonus features and stuff, I love the fact that Amira even makes a comment where she says, if that wasn't me playing that part, I would think it was real. Yes. I would think what I was watching is disturbing. And I thought that was such a good line because it is very, it looks low budget. But it's not like it's a hundred thousand. I I can't believe that. But it's done very professionally and very artistically. All of the camera shots are there for a reason, and there's no direct narrative, but it's always hinted at, and there's always subtleties. And uh, we could go on all day about the sounds that he uses with the distorted voices and how everybody thinks, oh, it's because he's a Satanist and it sounds evil, but. It's all tied in with his sister, which is in that backstory, and none of this is told to you in the movie. No. None of it. None of it. And I almost think it's done purposely. Yeah, I like that. That's one of the reasons I like the movie so much. It reminds me of Petscott. Like, they don't tell you shit, but the more you dig through it, and the more you dig in the backstory of it, 
you start to see oh, okay this is connected and that's connected and you see that his sister shows up everywhere and she clearly is a huge part of his life yeah uh, which we could go all day on his sister as well and we definitely will oh man I, I think I think the proudest moment of my life was um, was finding out the like the true backstory of that because I remember reading an article like years ago that he was getting interviewed and they were asking him about his sister Cinderella and he basically just outright is like yes I had an incest relationship with my sister and I'm totally okay with it and it was very beautiful and I don't see anything wrong with that and I'm just I remember reading it and just being like like this is this is not real <laughs> like this is for show like he's doing this interview to promote this movie to make it like as whack as possible but the fact that he stays consistent with that narrative and he adds that narrative in the films and in the bonus features and then he gets visibly upset in some of the interviews when they like um ask about like his sister and what her <laughs> what her you know basically became her death was and he gets like visibly upset which is what really kind of brought off like a really weird reality <laughs> yeah that's me. real i mean she was extremely dependent on him too um i'd like to just make a little side note in my notes for this episode this little segment right here is just noted as sister fucking huge plot <laughs> quality notes um anyway she was a because she was blind and then she was autistic correct yes so he was her caretaker she was he was her world and universe her entire life and they just kind of organically as organically and naturally can uh, got on some some Alabama business right well basically the Which way is that cool like they were happy and he yeah you know loved her yeah yeah I would say the way Great that I director <laughs> <laughs> the way that I understand it is like from childhood, she was kind of like a mute and she didn't really talk. She didn't really do much. She kind of just kept to herself. And for some reason, and this is probably what, in, well, it is because he comes out in the interviews and says that that's what inspired him to make movies today is he would constantly film her and she would just turn into this other person. Like she would turn into like this out of this world actress as he explains it and she would just come out of her shell and perform for him and sing for him and dance for him and explain everything that she's doing and this happened for years and i think she got like you said i think she got so dependent on that and that lifestyle and him that when the change happened to where he grew up and he wanted to travel the world and he wanted to become a filmmaker and you know make his his star in the world she couldn't cope with that she couldn't come to terms with that which makes sense because of the you know because she's on the spectrum uh, because she literally had nobody else in her life besides him because the parents are always gone and when they were probably home they probably didn't want anything to do with it is my guess I don't know that um, and it, it it's just it's kind of haunting to me when you really start to hear like the final years that she was alive especially when he was gone where he said that she would just smack her face on the wall for hours until she'd go unconscious. And he he gets visibly upset when he says that he goes home after the filming of the first movie because he was worried about her and her well-being. And he said that she didn't even look the same. Like, she didn't look like the same person because she was all scuffed up. 
and she was completely out of it because of all the brain damage that she suffered on that. And, and she was incredibly jealous of Amira. Incredibly too. jealous of Amira. And she made that apparent. And apparently when he would film her on her last month's living, um, she would mimic Amira in the film a lot. Um, and and I think I think where where it kind of sickens me is well he left again. Like I think he stayed home for six months after the filming of the first film. And basically, you know, his sister Cinderella, like, basically latched onto his side every minute, every second of every day since he was at home. And he even says that he had to keep her on a leash when they would go out. So he, <laughs> like, and it shouldn't be funny, but it is. Me. <laughs> um, you know, but then he makes the decision to leave again you know, to kind of get, you know, preparations ready for the second film and to visit all of his new friends that he made on the cast and all that stuff. And, you know, ultimately when he left, that's when she did what she did. But it just kind of makes me think, like, if he knew the the health and the problems that she was going through, I just don't understand why she didn't get the help that she needed. I That's, that's just the aspect that I don't understand. Because there clearly would be an avenue for her to have some kind of at least professional caretaker. Well, what doesn't make any sense to me is I think it's very apparent with the budget that he had on the movie and the money that he visibly has. And I think he comes from a wealthy family. I'm pretty sure his parents make good money. I I just don't understand where they wronged her in that. Like the money shouldn't uh, definitely wasn't an issue. Right. I'm sure they had killer health insurance. They could cover at least some kind of yeah assurance that she would be safe at all times yeah so like i said caretakers that she did stay with she still was able to hurt herself extensively yeah right and that's the thing like this the narrative just there's parts of it that for me don't make a whole lot of sense um that i'd want to get some clarity on because like i said if i had a sister that went through that much trauma and that much trouble and i saw the steady decline of her um, the first thing on my mind would be, okay, this is out of my hands. I can't help her. Who can? And I just don't understand why that didn't happen. And if it did happen, why that was unsuccessful. Um, right, because instead, he pretty much took it on himself. I mean, he released yeah. the first movie, quit everything he was doing, went back, spent time with her. Um, unfortunately, she committed suicide between the first and second movie which we will definitely get into as well yeah um stemming from that jealousy with amira levey which is incredibly tragic yeah no it is incredibly tragic i mean she she mimicked the death scene of amira levey in the first movie that is such a dark backstory crazy and it comes up later too in the second movie yeah you're gonna have to stay tuned for that <laughs> yeah oh yeah that that was a so we just finished watching that one because we were waiting on uh the uploading of our first scare cast which i mistakenly uploaded the first file <laughs> because you know i didn't pay attention to what i was uploading second movie was way dialed up you were not kidding when you said that there's like a jump the first movie is definitely acquiring your taste for it and thinking okay this is what to expect like blood piss vomit everywhere and then the second movie hits and there's no limits yeah the the second film is definitely the magnum opus 
<laughs> of the trilogy. <laughs> there is literally a scene where a tarantula is put in the vagina of a woman that is stitched shut. That shit was so hard to watch, I felt my soul cringe. And if that's not enough to get you guys to listen to the second episode, I don't know what is. <laughs> that's. is. I'm just going to leave it at that. Vagina, tarantula, stitched, done. <laughs> I like to think that I have an iron gut, but man, that made my stomach churn. That was the hardest thing I think I've ever had to watch. I'm telling you, like, the, the special effects of these films are nuts. Because, like, I've, I've watched a lot of underground horror movies and a lot of, you know, the best gore that films have had to offer so far. And I'm just saying, I've never seen effects done this way. Like, it's it's so... Uh, what's the word? It's, it's so ambitious. And it works really well, especially with the sound effects and the music yeah. behind it. It's not traditional horror music that you would hear where yeah. it's like an instrumental with sharp tones it's these random overpowering sound effects that just hit at random with the footage yeah and it really intensifies that footage because as you're going through it you almost feel like you're rushed like it's just throwing footage at you it's, yeah it's a very tense situation no it, it it shouldn't work and and i think for a lot of people it doesn't work but for some reason for for fans like us, it just it does work because it's it's something that a lot of um, A-list movies miss out on because a lot of people think if you make the gore the worst that you possibly can for no absolute reason and you just make a lot of jump scares or if you just do one of the two, then you have a great movie on your hands. But what I really like about these films that I think it does really, really well is it doesn't force the scare factor in your face but what it does do is it forces you to continue to watch the gore for hours on end as to where a lot of the other movies i watch it's like a quick like two three minute thing and it's done this movie it's like you're in for it for the whole movie first five minutes and it, yeah. you've already seen and if you can't handle it then fuck you you know what i mean and i <laughs> yeah. i just respect that so much because even some of the most underground shit i've ever seen you still have a lot of off time where they're just like building up how fucked up things are going to be and how things are going to get this film gives you no time you know the first two minutes of the first film like yeah it's a little bit of a build-up but just the way that the audio is synced up the way that the effects start to come at you and the way that he just keeps fucking jumping every frame as if they're like they're each single you know entity it's it's haunting and it's disturbing and it's like i said it, it is one of the most ambitious movies i've seen probably ever from what i understand so i think i think it's a very misunderstood set of films and i think it gets a really bad rap and i understand like like i said there's a ton of people in my life that i know will never watch this and they'll still live a happy life <laughs> <laughs> but i i think one thing that people need to take away from these films is just for like me personally just appreciate that they are a thing because they are a top of their class the niche of people that can appreciate these special effects and what's being done here is definitely very small. I can probably count on my hand the number of people who would even agree to watch this kind of thing. Yeah. No, I would agree. Uh, I, th I think people are going to be more or less more interested in hearing about it than actually witnessing it. And it'll be like 
a Joe situation where they'll hear about it and hopefully they'll be like, wow, that's not, it's like the train wreck problem, right? Like a train wreck happens and you just can't look away from it. People are like, oh, wow, this sounds really good. And then they get sucked in the hole. That's how you got me into it. Yeah. You're just talking about it one night doing a scare cast. And yeah. I'm like, all right, yeah, sign me up. I want to see this. This sounds great. <laughs> Fucking phenomenal. Yeah. I'm two thirds of the way through and I'm loving it. Yeah. No, it is. It is. It is life changing. <laughs> life changing. Yeah. That scene in the second movie, which we will cover, um, is forever left a burning scar in my mind. <laughs> I honestly think I'll have PTSD anytime I go on a date with a girl now. <laughs> I have to bring a flashlight. <laughs> Dude. Amen. <laughs> uh, you gotta be careful. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You definitely do. Uh, did we already go into how some of the footage in that first movie is actual raw footage of a No, and we should. We should do that. So, how do you want to bring that up? I would just bring it up as is. I mean, there's scenes all throughout the movie from start to finish where you see Amira playing I keep Angela. Angela, I should know that's my mother's name. <laughs> um, there's scenes throughout the entire movie where you see Angela and she's doing these lines and you can tell in some of them she's upset there's scenes where she is asleep and she's talking in her sleep and she's very violent saying things like get off of me no stop like she's clearly been traumatized at some point which is entirely believable in her line of work being a stripper however stemming back to the agreement that lucifer valentine made with her of hey you can stay here you can live with me in exchange, I just get to film you whenever. Yeah. That's so, apparent that that footage that he took was used in there. I mean, there's and he even states it, doesn't he? That yeah. So let's let's start this from point from point A. So Lucifer Valentine meets Amira Levey at a party. Not really a big fan of her to begin with. She's kind of a leash, kind of just sticking around him, just begging him to kind of you know notice her, take her out for a drink, etc. Finally, in his words, he just, she kind of wore him down and he gave in, he gave in. They went out one night and from that night, you know, legend has it that they were inseparable from that night. And I believe they started dating before all of this happened. And, you know, Amira was going through a lot of health issues, um, stemming from mental disorders to, um, physical agony. So I know that like she had some broken ribs, I know that she was, I don't know if she was struggling from like anorexia or bulimia or what was going on, but she was very, very underweight. She was very pale. She looked very deathly, ghostly. Um, and I know that she um, almost passed out on numerous occasions on porn sets and just couldn't get through a full days of work, you know, without, you know, just having to pretty much call the quits. And it got to the point where she was living with her, with her dad and the dad just told her to get the fuck out. Like, he couldn't handle it anymore. So I think she took, like, her clothes and, like, a gallon of fucking milk and ran the fuck out. And then basically found herself on Lucifer Valentine's front door. And he basically, like, took her in and said, okay, I'm going to nurse you back to health. I'm going to make you 100% healthy again. You're going to be mine. Um, but in exchange of that, I am in full control of you. They had a dominant submissive agreement to where he could film her at any time, no matter what she was doing, no matter what he was doing, that she had to do absolutely 100% anything that he said, no matter how fucked up it was, no matter how sinister it was, 
And that was the agreement that they had, and she was totally okay with that. And what we got from that agreement that they had was tons of raw footage of her um, basically in pain. Um, a couple instances that come to mind is he was he was talking to her and she was laughing hysterically, but you could tell that it was killing her inside for laughing because of her broken ribs. Um, you brought up the fact that when she was sleeping, she like talked in her sleep, and there was times where she spoke a different language. Um, and got, you know, physically upset and would slam her hand on the wall. Um, and then she would have no recollection of doing that. Um, there were plenty of scenes where she would cry uncontrollably and let him know that, that she was his forever and that she would do anything that, you know, that he asked of her and that he was all she had. And she's been misused her entire life and she just wants to live a happy life. Very naive, very vulnerable, very raw. There's not a whole lot of things in movies out there that you can watch that are as raw as that. And I think, in my mind, the first film really, really is inspired off of that. I think he I think he had that agreement. He had that epiphany in his head as soon as she was at his doorstep. And he already had the idea of making, you know, somewhat of a new fetish film and then had this absolute fucking gold mine on his on his front door. He basically had a test subject that he could absolutely do anything to to get the perfect footage for this first film, this inspirational film that he was going to make. And I and I think that is the main inspiration. You know, I think it's her and her character and her demeanor that really made the first film what it is and made it shine. So I think that's all you can take away from the first film, in my mind. I think there's a lot more to, to take from it from there, and I think it adds on as the films go. But there would be no Vomit Gore trilogy without the sinister thoughts of Lucifer Valentine, the, the sadistic thoughts of Lucifer Valentine, and the naiveness and the perfect timing of her. I think I think there would be no trilogy without that. I completely agree with you because all of his he's been filming his sister his entire life, like yes. you had mentioned earlier. He's used to just filming people doing natural things and then his sister would notice she was on camera and change her personality. She'd perk up and it was her way of coping. So he's always had a camera on him at all times and that's yeah. just normal for him. So it's I definitely agree with you 100%. It's clearly inspired by that lifestyle, and he had that footage in front of him and said, you know what? I can make something really horrifying with this and break through and make three films on it. Yeah. And I'm probably jumping the gun a little bit, but, I mean, he also includes the footages of his sister. Um, Cinderella is in there later, and... I don't know. Part of me suspects she's in the other ones as well, like in the first movie where you see the scenes of the little girl. Part of me feels like that is, but I feel like it's not at the same time. I don't know if that's Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. That is something that I'd like to know. Because he does credit in the second movie. I feel like he would credit in the first movie. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm not sure where that footage came from. That'd be something that I'd like to know. That is one of the mysteries of the films that I'd like to know is where that footage came from. Because it obviously came from something. And I'm not sure what. You know, I'm going to be honest. Like, the little girl in those films, it kind of looks like a mirror, too, though, as a kid. It kind of does. I didn't think about that. Yeah, it very well could have been a mirror you know? as well with home footage. that she Yeah. Because it's clearly on VHS. It's a VHS it's clearly recording. on VHS. But like I said, I don't know. Because when you look at that footage, it really doesn't look like it's footage from America either, though. Like, when you look at the landscape and where they're at, it just doesn't really look like American soil to me they're in 
a really lush area. Yes. If that's like the family's garden or anything like that, it it's an impressive little lawn that you see her kind of dancing through and yeah, multiple segments. Yeah. Even even in the second one as well, that same shot is in yeah. there. Yeah, it's I mean it's like I said, there's there's a lot more layers that go to this than I thought because like I said, I've been I've been a follower of his for man three four years now. <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of different layers that I continue to learn about with him and just the absolute minimal interviews and facts you can find on him almost aggravates me now. It used to excite me, but now that I've pretty much read everything that you can read on him, it's like You've there's hit really that breaking point. There's really yeah. nothing else. Yeah, like I've I've kind of seen and read it all. And there's no contact information for him for legal reasons, obviously. Um, there's no really trace of what production company he's with because he jumps between production companies i mean it started with kingdom of hell and then i would say that was his he started that kingdom of hell was his um unearthed films which is what the box set that we have here um they are already a well-established hardcore horror um production company that picked him up and made this wonderful box set that i have um, and they unearthed as one of the top ballers when it comes to these kind of films. We'll probably cover other films in the future that are also from them. Um, and then f- now the most recent one that I can track, which has just been a couple years now would be black lava entertainment. I'm not sure which country they originate from, but they're not American. They're not an American based company. Um, and they were the last ones to my knowledge to release his films. Um, and I believe they were like the original, separate film prints like from like way OG days and that came with like extra shit and stuff like that wow that's so, impressive yeah so it'd be cool to see what they were and how much they are to get your hands on those now if they're even still available anywhere cause I know like back in Kingdom of Hell days like when you, you could buy each movie like separately it came with like a bunch of extra stuff like he would add like posters in there and like oh, autographed cool. prints and stuff like that like if, for those of you listening, definitely like do a Google search and look at the box art for these because they're they're really simple. They're like kids' drawings and crayons. Yeah. But they're they're really neat looking. They're they're unsettling. No, they're pretty cool. It, I think what's really cool about it is, like, you feel like you could have drew something like it <laughs> when you were a child. It's almost like drawings that like a demented child from like The Omen would draw. That's what I was going <laughs> to like say. The ring. Yeah, any any possession movie where the kid gets possessed and the mom finds them coloring some evil dark satanic yeah, shit. Yeah, that's that's exactly in their coloring what it is. book. That is what the box art is. And yeah. It's glorious. It is. It just adds. I believe I was reading somewhere that he draws them. I could be <clears> wrong. I, I'm I sure feel he like does. it's either him or Amira. One of the two draws them. Yeah. But we, man, okay, so we've we've covered quite a bit of ground here. Um, going through my notes here, making sure we didn't miss anything. I don't know that we have. Did you have any like final thoughts or anything on on the first movie there? Well, I, I think just to kind of conclude, I guess all of the all of the thoughts, just so we don't sound too scatterbrained, is the first film is just a taste. 
Um, I don't want to talk about a lot of theories. I don't want to talk about a lot of in-depth things just yet, just because of how early on we are. Because the first film does add a lot, but at the same time, there's still a lot of things to be said about everything. And it's it's clearly leading you in, because yeah. you are not joking. That was tame compared to the Yeah, and that that's the thing that baffles me the most. Like... Just hearing yourself think, like, how can a vomit gore film be tame? But after seeing, like, the second film and on from those, the first film really is, like, a very tame version of what's to come. So that that's really one of the main reasons why I don't have a lot of substantial thoughts, just because I think the first film, in my mind, just from watching it and reading and understanding everything, the first film was kind of just him, like, testing the waters and playing with what was possible with his resources and the, you know, the budget that he had and all the people that he'd met. That was, like, the best he could do. That was his vision and the best that he could see. And then as soon as that film was done and he watched it back and he kind of saw what it was, that's when I think he really started to dive deep and engulf into what else was possible. And I think some of the cast and crew that we'll definitely talk about later on that's going to be absolutely fantastic to talk about, I think some of them probably watched the first film and became, like, very fascinated themselves and I think that's where he got some of the inspiration on the other films because he had more help. He had more eyes. He had more brains. He had more resources to play with. Especially with the twins. I know. And that's... Oh, I, my I don't, God. I don't want to go too far, bae. but they are... They are... <laughs> they are bay. Without the twins, there is no regurgitated sacrifice. Like like how we said, without Amira, there is no Vomigor trilogy. There's no first film. Without the twins, there's no regurgitated sacrifice. I mean, you could make the you could make the claim too that without Hank Skinny, there's no. <laughs> <laughs> I love that name, Hank Skinny. You know, the, the, we could add this in the story too because yeah, they'll know this. But Hank Skinny is in the first movie. Hank Skinny Briefly, is in the first in film, and he wasn't supposed to be. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So Hank Skinny was actually a friend of I can't remember if it was a cameraman or if it was somebody on the cast but he was a friend of somebody that was already in and Lucifer was known to not let any outsiders in it was a very closed project uh, he he sought out to people he wanted and that was it that makes sense for privacy Absolutely. legal reasons for that's one thing that doing. I think he do, that he's done better than anybody is like he doesn't want you to fucking know who he is and he does it very and well and he does it very well he's very smart about it he even the fact that he's done interviews and we still don't know who the fuck he is, it's nuts. But, um, and I think, I think the reason why he's able to accomplish that to the way he has is because he's just not popular enough. Like he's just at that line to where people just kind of read on it for five minutes and then they let it go. He's at the very yeah. top of the, obviously there's definitely yeah. been a handful of people that have definitely obsessed over him and have fucking like threatened his life. If he doesn't come forward, I get that. <laughs> Anybody's going to get that in this realm, in this fetish, whatever. But for the most part, the majority of people they read on, they're like, okay, whatever. Um, but yeah, so going back to Hank Skinny and his story, um, the friend of his just kept insisting to Lucifer, like, you got to meet this guy. He is fucking baller. He is cool. He's funny as shit. He can add a lot of shit to this. You need to, you need to let me bring him by. And I guess Lucifer said that one night he was just like drunk enough to, he was like, fuck it. Bring him over. I want. I want to meet this fucking guy. <laughs> and they they had a couple beers with Hank and Lucifer like fell in love with him like instantly and was like, okay, I don't know what I need you for, 
but you're in. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna use you somehow. And I think Hank Skinny started out as behind the camera. I'm pretty sure. And they were in the filming process of Slaughtered Vama Dolls. And <laughs> I believe Hank whispered to Lucifer while they were filming a scene. He was like, hey man, I can produce some good vomit for you. I'll <laughs> I'll I'll get you some vomit. I I, I can do the puke yeah, yeah. pretty well. <laughs> and Lucifer was like, fucking show me. And believe it or not, man, he fucking he delivered. <laughs> and Oh yeah, he fucking oh, yeah. delivered. And after seeing what Hank Skinny can do, Lucifer was like, Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Here it is. And I'm telling you, man, like... That yeah. man's got chunky Dude, he is, he is fucking... He's blowing oatmeal. Dude, oh, that shit my is God. nasty. Dude. Yeah, he's he's a gem, if, if you're into that sort of thing. That scene where he's, he's puking in the head and just drinking oh, it back. Oh, fuck Oh, yeah. man. I could taste it. That's fucking yeah, brutal. Yeah, he is... <laughs> You know, and supposedly in real life, he's just a fucking funny, chill guy like we are. Oh, <laughs> so, I believe it. Yeah. So it's, it's dope. Like, he could be sitting here right now and be like, yo, guys, what's going on? How's it? Like, you know, what do you do in your spare time? Yeah, man. I just basically just down as much Pepto-Bismol as I can and puke <laughs> back up, and it's great. No fucking lie, man. No fucking lie. But yeah, so I, yeah, I think, I think the first film definitely is a good test point for people that are somewhat interested in this category and it's your like toe in the water yeah if you can't handle the first one then yeah then don't even don't even go forward it's funny you mentioned that because in the wikipedia article there's like what critics have to say about it and mm-hmm. there's all these sources citing like six different reasons of like if you don't like vomit don't bother with it and they're like <laughs> if you like a narrative don't bother with it <laughs> and it's just all these like examples and it always ends with yeah just don't bother with it and then it gets to the very last one they're like yeah but all three of them combined is overwhelmingly positive it's just the first one on its own separately is overwhelmingly yeah. negative so what blows my mind about these movies if we're going to talk about reviews and like reviewers um i follow this guy on youtube that does horror reviews and he has like a series where it's like the most disturbing movies ever made and he has like a ton of parts and one of those parts he covers these movies and the word that he uses to describe these movies haunts my dreams because i've never heard anybody else describe them the way that he does he's like oh let's hear it. he just he like he sits back in his chair and he was like you know they're kind of boring <laughs> <laughs> Like, I remember when I heard him say that, I'm like, sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> boring. Boy, yeah. Boring. Boring because, like, there's no narrative or boring because, like, you're a piece of shit that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, this is everyday like, life. <laughs> I hope to the Lord above that instead of boring, he meant, like, not good. Like, he just meant, like, I wasn't interested in it. Because they're not fucking boring. Yeah, they're far <laughs> they're from not boring. boring movies. It's understandable why you wouldn't be interested yeah, in it. A lot of people I, I think would be I think off. that's what he meant to say. I'm hoping. I'm hoping because I've never heard anybody describe these movies as boring. Even if you don't like them, you're not going to say they're boring. Not once sitting here watching these have I said, okay, when are we going to pick this up? When are we going to... Yeah, you know, no. Nick. Even if it is like a slow part for these movies, I'm still like, okay... Yeah, All right. because there's like dialogue, satanic stuff going on. Like, there's a reason. Yeah. For the whole like five minutes worth of screen time that's slow. 
<laughs> yeah, no, it, boring. It's boring. <laughs> Very clearly. Yeah. And and ironically for him, I think that's like his most viewed YouTube video that he's ever done was for that video. <laughs> oh, I'm sure the people who do follow it, I'm sure it's a cult following. It's a it huge cult. Well, I should say it's a huge cult following, but it's a loyal cult following. Like any any content that I've watched on people that follow these are die hard. <laughs> oh, like, I could imagine. Die you hard. Have to, yeah. Like there was a video that I watched. I wish I would have saved it because it was a gold mine. But it was this guy that had this exact box set that I have, and he was treating it like it was scripture. Like he <laughs> he was opening it and he was like, "Oh my God, that is so beautiful." And he would like take the disc out and he would like look at the artwork here and he'd be like. I've never seen this in this print before. This is such an accomplishment. And like he was like babying them. And I'm just like just watching their in awe. This yeah, I'm my like nipples. This is fucking insane. <laughs> this is like ASMR unboxing for Vomit Gore. Like what is where's the line, man? This guy's got a uh what do you call it? A shrine with a bunch of little candles yes, lit. Yes, man. It was fucking out there. He's got there. a puke bucket on each side with a bunch of candles. Yes. Throws up every day and prays to and like, Lucifer Valentine. These films have fucking groupies, bro. Like, there's films oh, with, like, it. semi to really attractive women that are like, <laughs> Lucifer Valentine is my crush. I love him. And these movies are such an inspiration while they're, like, spreading their tits around. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, when he was making these films, I, I'm taking the last thing he's thinking is like, I'm gonna get hot bitches for making this shit. <laughs> that, was, that was the whole goal from the start. Like, really? I mean, honestly, like, Scream Queens are a thing. Scream Queens and, like, are a thing. he's reinventing. He, I, I shouldn't say he's reinventing, but for these projects, it, it redefines that Scream Queen. I mean, they get absolutely torn apart. The one girl in the first movie gets her whole arm sawn off. Yes. And then they give her a guitar and a microphone in front of her. It's <laughs> you know what? Like it's it's weird to laugh at, but you can't deny it's not funny. You know what? Fuck me for saying I don't have a favorite scene in the first film. That is my favorite scene in the first film, <laughs> like by far. I remember the first time I saw that scene, I was like, "Yeah, man." <laughs> I I couldn't believe it. I seen her. They gave her a guitar, and I'm like, "Oh man, that's that's rough." And then they put a little, they scoot a little microphone in front of her. Great. <laughs> She's just sitting there in agony and pain is fucked. That's like almost as fucked up as like waving to Stevie Wonder. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna hit somebody where it hurts. That's how you do it. <laughs> well, Take you... their arm, give them an instrument. Is that motherfucker waving at me? <laughs> Cut his arm off. I think. Oh, I don't remember. It might have been a stand-up routine. That I heard this in, but there was a joke where uh, <laughs> they were talking about Bono from U2, and uh -huh. he was on stage at a show. And I think this is a true story, I think. <laughs> and he's basically like doing an intro before they play a song, and he was like, I want everyone to know that <laughs> every time I clap my hands, a child in Africa is dying. <laughs> and somebody in the audience goes, Well, then stop clapping your fucking hands! <laughs> 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 Savage. Stop clapping your fucking hands. It's like, uh, okay, this one I know for sure was in a Mark Maron special where he, uh, 
<laughs> he's, he's, do you know the comedian Bill Hicks? Yeah, yeah. Okay, awesome, awesome. Not a lot of people know that. It's pretty, t- it's pretty tight. He does the offensive stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, he's dead now, but yeah, so. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. Oh, Bill Hicks? Yeah. Yeah, I, I He's not long gone. Um, he died in, like, 94 from, like, pancreatic cancer, but I think. But anyway, Mark Maron, because Mark Maron's been around forever. He just wasn't popular forever, but uh, he did a stand-up show with Bill Hicks, like, way back in the day. <laughs> and it's, like, gold. This is, like, the most gold story I've ever heard about Bill Hicks. So he said, he said basically how it was going to work is um, he was going to open for Bill Hicks. But for some reason, when they were backstage, Bill Hicks was like, hey, you got to go on. Or no, like, hey, can I go on first? And then you go on. And he was like, I... Not, no, I'm not closing the show. And he's like, yeah, but like, I got to play chess. <laughs> and Mark Maron's like, okay. I, I still to this day don't understand that conversation. I'm sure. And he said, Bill Hicks goes on stage and he said he went to the bathroom. And he said, I don't know what happened when I was in the bathroom. But when I came out of the bathroom, the whole crowd was silent. He was like, you literally could have heard like a pin drop in the, in the theater because of how quiet it was. And he said he looked on stage and Bill Hicks was literally on the lip of the stage. And he's pointing at somebody in the audience, and he's just screaming at the top of his lungs, I'm a fucking poet! (laughs) And he said, like, the sweetest little girl in the audience was like, tell us a poem then. (laughs) Sometimes I love people. Dude, like... Only sometimes. It's a pretty dope story. Uh, I think I'm gonna close this out unless you got anything you want to add. No, I think uh, I think we gave the people enough before the trilogy continues. I With think. that ado, you guys have just listened to the first deep dive in our scarecast over slaughtered vomit dolls a fucking trip of a ride mm. stay tuned though this is gonna be part of a trilogy so we got two more bangers coming out uh, ideally we want to do these we were talking about one a month but we think for our next one we want to cover the second one just because we watched it and i'm really antsy to cover it as well so we will get that out within the next couple weeks as well yeah i would say so Guys, stay on top of the game, man. If you're listening to this, watch them all so then you know what's going on, man. You can follow us. You can follow the story. Maybe point out things that we didn't hear. Be our fucking investigators, even though we're the smartest cats in the fucking world. If we miss anything, man. (laughs) I mean, I'm a professor. I have a fucking degree, so come at me. But if you find anything, (laughs) let me know. Professor Nasty does have his doctorate in (laughs) Lucifer Valentine uh, for enlightening me to this. This has been a roller coaster that I greatly welcome you know i i was i was expecting this but i i feel like this first podcast was you like bringing up like a topic and then i felt like i was being interviewed about it i was, I was like yeah man so lucifer uh <laughs> as i was going through my notes that's kind of how i felt because you've obviously been a diehard fan of this for so long <laughs> that you're my greatest source of information well, so yeah this is what I this feel felt like, like i'm doing an interview i i felt like i was watching like one of like those news segments <laughs> and the newscaster's like so like how <laughs> how long has this been going on? Well, I'm really glad that you asked, uh, Mister. I, I uh, <laughs> Lucifer has been such a gem to me for <laughs> for so long. He actually vomited in my mouth before the first movie, just so I could kind of get a taste of what's to come. 
<laughs> so you're listening to the Scarecast. This is your host, Creepy Pete. Um, we are on NPR doing a deep dive with our good interviewee, Professor Nasty. Hello. It's been a pleasure having you. It's a pleasure being here. It's a pleasure being here. This isn't my podcast at all either, so it's a pleasure of me being here with you. (laughs) Tune in next time on Scarecast NPR, (laughs) where we continue our interview with Professor Nasty on an even more fucked up movie in this trilogy. So don't miss out, guys. Puke your brains out. Insert jazz music here. (laughs) I will.